Hello, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Seas and Childhood. Welcome to the May edition of Atoms. One of the many pleasures inherent to my job is seeing papers evolve from the submission stage through the review process and then appearing in print. Writing this column, which I do about six weeks before the issues arrive in the post or appear on the website, is one of the high points of my month. I'm always sport for choice and left with very difficult decisions as to what to feature. It's been particularly difficult this month, the papers being such quality and, and, and breadth, but exactly the sort of problem that I like to have. Let's start with a very public case. Every few years, attention is captured by a story that's so poignant that it plays out in the full glare of the public eye. Such exposure is now, of course, heightened by social media, and where in the not-so-distant past events would have been relayed by newspaper or radio the following day or week, the speed of the internet inevitably heightens the emotions of those involved. Last summer, the sad case of a young boy with a mitochondrial depletion syndrome became the focus of attention for several weeks. His paediatricians and parents had opposing views on the merits of a trial of novel treatment, and as the issue could not be resolved internally, the case was referred to the High Courts of Justice and then the European Court of Human Rights. In this issue, we feature three different but complementary views on the case. A paediatrician's, a medical legal one, and a view from outside the UK. The passage of time, if anything, having made these very articulate opinions even more vital and resonant, and I urge you to read this. Moving to a very different area now, we're all aware of the link between burns and environment in the broadest social sense, but perhaps less of that between thermal injury and later neurodevelopment. In an elegant data linkage study in New South Wales, Holland and colleagues followed over 1,500 children with burns sustained in the early 2000s. These were all sustained before school age and 6,200 controls. They estimated differences in school performance in years three, five and seven. And after extensive adjustment for potential confounders, produced results that were genuinely sobering. Cases, those burned, performed significantly worse across every domain, reading, writing and numeracy. And with a clear dose-response relationship, each 10% increase in total bottle surface area burnt, predicting a year five score, 37% lower in numeracy and 72% worse in writing. So the reasons are likely to be complex, involving parental access of healthcare, disruption to schooling and self-esteem. But as the exposure effect association suggests, it may also involve other biological pathways. Whatever the mechanisms, I will think very differently the next time I assess a child with a, even a minor burn, and I think you will too after reading this. Pain and life quality are inextricably linked, and therefore any advance in identifying windows for early intervention should be welcomed. Thompson and colleagues analysed a cohort of children enrolled in the child arthritis prospective study, principally the juvenile idiopathic group, and assessed the probability of the following three pain severity trajectories by a range of candidate predictors, including function, mood, and early use of disease-modifying drugs. The analysis included 851 children and showed that, counterintuitively, older aged onset, poorer function and disability, and longer duration of disease at baseline were associated with consistently higher pain trajectories. This makes me think whether this sort of model may well be applicable to other forms of chronic pain and might form the basis of new and early interventions. HIV and feeding. The WHO recommends exclusive breastfeeding 
preferentially or exclusive replacement feeding for the first six months after birth for HIV-exposed infants to reduce the not inconsiderable risk of postnatally acquired infection. Mixed feeding, in other words, breast and replacement contemporaneously, is now known to increase the risk and should be avoided. However, as a result of social pressure, poor resources, lack of access to safe water and cultural beliefs, adherence can be difficult. Langat and colleagues explored these issues qualitatively in Kenya. Where in 2013, there were an estimated 13,000 infected babies born to 76,000 infected mothers. They identified similar uncertainties amongst mothers and, in addition, conflicting advice from healthcare workers, presumably reflecting uncertainty and confusion around feeding and the change in recommendations. It's clear that even the most complete ART programme will be unable to fulfil its full potential unless a seemingly straightforward but in reality socially complex area feeding is addressed. I hope you enjoy reading and listening as much as I have. You can, of course, read more on the journal website on adc.bmj.com. Thank you.